Pilly found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Bailey Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. And balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got and what a carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night and the dogs are home. Welcome back to the Salty Bulldog for year 2023, the podcast that spent the summer pondering the question, does Sam play forward or Darcy play back? My name is Matthew Donald. I'm sure you know my name by now. The dynamic duo, or part one of the dynamic duo of the Salty Bulldog back. The other part, the man who laughs at every joke and pun I've ever rolled off the tongue is Nick Galea. Nick, welcome back for another year of football. Hello, Matthew. Hello, everyone out there to all the loyal Western Bulldogs fans and Salty Bulldog fans, of course. Yes, we have got season five uh, finally underway. Uh, Matt and I have had a well enjoyed, what, I don't know, six week or so break in terms of uh, the podcast side of things, but uh, we're very excited to get back into it. I've got a lot in store for you, not only for today's episode, but for, of course, the uh, the next six or so months, definitely for the season. Is that too big a question to, to start the year with, the Sam Darcy one? Or do we want to ease into oh, it with a couple of easier questions first? It's an excellent question. Half of, and as you were alluding to the question, I was thinking like, oh, where's Sam Powell playing now? No, but not Sam Darcy in this case, but I wonder, back or forward? I think, and just to put the answer out very quickly, where will we see the better version of Darcy? You'll see him play as a better footballer for him to impact his game down the back, but where he can destroy teams will be up forward, which is much where I prefer to see him play. But that that's sort of a – so you've answered the the short term and, and the long term there. So Yes, so I, so I think for the time being, keep him down back, and then when the ball is rolling, let him unleash up forward. Is that, is, was, that, was that your whole summer's work there, or did you actually get to enjoy a bit of a break over the, the past six weeks, as, as you described it? I don't know. Was it six weeks? I don't know how many weeks it was. I think but it was a bit been more a while. We've had some other things. A bit more than six. We've had a few things going on, I think, uh, on ourselves with a couple of other stuff. But um, no, no, there's been a lot going on actually regarding the football side. I think it's been to, uh, trying to, you know, break down the respective uh, how do you fit 44 into 23 again and pondering all the particular recruits and different elements of, of game plans and game styles about what will we see, you know, the maestro and Luke Beveridge conjure up this season. It is a very important season for the club. There seems to be, again, a lot more expectations, which once, again, they had embraced. But does it seem, how, do you, how have you found this, uh, the 2023 off-season in comparison to 2022, the off-season, that build-up there? What have you thought about it? Well, that's actually not a bad segue, Nick, because of how I wanted to start the episode was just recapping the movements from last season. So I might just do that firstly. So in terms of the players arriving from the club, we've got Liam Jones, who arrived through the free agency, given that he didn't play at all last year. Orchestrated a trade for Rory Lopp, which went down to the wire the last 30 seconds of the trade period. Oscar mm-hmm. Baker arrived much later on through the preseason supplemental selection period. 
And then the three draftees as well, Jed Buslinger, Charlie Clark, Harvey Gallagher, have all, all arrived through the draft. And in terms of Very the outs, with those acquisitions. A, lo- a, lot with of, acquisitions. a lot of players that have, have come out as well. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the draft all as well, but I'll just go through the outs here. So Josh Dunkley's gone to Brisbane, Lockie Hunter to Melbourne, Josh Shackey to Melbourne, who's been in the news recently, Zane Cordy to St Kilda, Mitch Wallace, Lewis Butler, and Charlie Parker all delisted. Stefan Martin retired. So is he have... at St. Kevin's? Is that right? Or is, is it another is it another uh, VAFA team that I've gone blank on? For Mitch Wallace? Wallace? I'm not sure, mm-hmm. to be honest. I'll have to... Have I thought he played with his brother. I, tried to, I think it's Kevin. If I'm wrong, forgive me, but I'm happy to be corrected on that. No doubt to anyone out there in the uh, in the Twitter sphere, uh, please put that answer up there. And tell us where he, where he is at the moment. And some new numbers to, to keep an eye out for over the course of the year. So Cody Waitman is no longer wearing the number 19. He's now going to wear the number three. All the others are new arrivals, so no other number changes. Jed Buslinger will wear number five. Rory Lobb, number seven. Charlie Clark, number eight. Harvey Gallagher, number 12. Oscar Baker, 13. Liam Jones, number 19. So numbers 18 and 25 are the high-profile numbers that don't have a player this season. And we've got one list spot free, which... We'll be able to use in the mid-season draft. Didn't didn't choose to fill up that list, list spot now. So we've got one spare. It'll be worth keeping an eye on a, a little later on in the season. You asked me the question, Nick, how I felt about this year compared to last year in terms mm. of the off-season. I've got to mm. say... It's I, building into the year. I think their off-season was excellent. Under the circumstances, they lost some good players. But I, I think in terms of what they've targeted, Every single player that they've brought in has been acquired with the purpose of filling a very specific and a very important on-field need. Maybe not necessarily in the short term, but certainly going forward in, in the long term as well. So Liam Jones is either the intercepting defender or the lockdown key defender. He can do both. So there's no there's no concerns over that. We we needed one of each, but he still plays a high caliber. Still playing at a good standard of football, I'm pretty confident. I think it was last year where he, if you don't mind me saying, took the absolute mickey out of the quaffle. And I think he made team of the year after playing only literally half the games. Yeah. And that side of things too. But it's not just that too. Did you, because um, I'll ask you some other questions too about uh, the intra-club match. But um, I think it probably ties down to, yes, the off-season in 2022. We weren't exactly sitting on our hands, were we now? It seemed in 2021 we thought it would probably be a lot more organic, didn't we? We were, you and I, and probably a lot of fans, were wondering what's the actual plan going on here? Why is it? Why is not a lot happening? And even into the lead up of the actual preseason, it seems to be again a different vibe than it was last year. Last year, I think it was a lot more um, perhaps disorientated and a bit confused in terms of what are we actually trying to get out of this uh, out of 2022. I think it seems a lot more clear cut this year, anyhow, about what needs to be done. Uh, just on uh, Jones, I've just got some some numbers here. So this is 2021, his last season AFL level. He was involved in 110 defensive one-on-one situations, which was ranked fourth among key defenders. Lost 11.8% of them, which was the lowest percentage out of any key defender to face 20 or more one-on-one contests that season. So just so you've got a bit of a base there, that's why we go with the 20 plus. He also took 79 intercept marks, which was ranked fourth in the league. So lockdown or interceptor, he can do he can do both. Rory Lobb. And in this case, he'll he'll free up Alex Key for a fair bit too. Yeah. 
and Gardner as as well. Rory Long will be that relief ruckman slash tall forward option. So when Eng so English was sold as a ruckman. The problem is when English wasn't rucking, the alternatives were Zane Cordy or Mitch Hannon. Now we've got a legitimate relief ruck option, so we're not compromised when English isn't rucking. We've still got someone who who's capable of competing in the ruck, which I, I think makes and a have a big very difference. very good tank as well. Yeah, Bob is able to he's able to run a fair bit, and not just that, but not just that too. I reckon. Um, supposedly, Matt, uh, Lob is actually quite a very good distributor by foot, which is which obviously ties well with, with the modern game. And it's not often that you can say, you know, tall players in this day and age. I mean, I know they're improving in a sense, but there's still very few tools that are quite trusting by foot. And it's interesting to see that, you know, we've noticed with Jamara's got a very deft touch, Lob seems to. And that just leaves the idea of saying, Norton, the forward 50 is yours, which is a very, very engrossing thought to think of there were there were a couple there yeah that was that was one of the things that, that came out when i was watching the intra club match yesterday but we'll get to that a, a little later on bustlinger is the long-term interceptor i don't think we'll be seeing him play well certainly early in the season coming off that shoulder reconstruction he may get some games late who knows but i think he's still a little while away from making a debut but he's more of a he's a long-term prospect charlie clark is the small forward who we need uh, we, we've got uh, I think outside of Waitman and, and Jones he's a genuine smoky within the first two or three rounds I reckon Oscar feature. Baker is the a winger that we needed we've lost a, a couple of uh, good wing options over the over the last couple of years and then Harvey Gallagher could be anything I know we've we've touched on some of the I know I know that these players have come in uh, while we were doing episodes last year so we've already spoken a lot about them but Harvey Gallagher could be absolutely anything it seems wherever he's played in the last couple of years, he's excelled. That feels like a real beverage. Very, pick, that what, one. what did I? Yeah, what did I describe him as last year? Oh God, I've already already put the um high praise in him. Saying Sean like, Burgoyne, it be, was. He could be a Sean Burgoyne type. My God. Oh well, I'll Just stick with games it. to go. <laughs> I'll stick with it. To be honest, I think there's probably elements of it, no doubt. Touchwood, if he has a career half as well as that, well, we've got at least two premierships in that mix, so that's very nice. To say what do you? Least. What do you make of the? Of the of the off season work that they've done, hmm. I think last I think in comparison to last season, this preseason and the off season seems as you mentioned it's a lot more organised, but it seems a lot more um, selective with the content or the way that they're being able to, to bring about information at the club. It seems like they're saying things they want to say. Whereas I think last off-season and last pre-season, it seemed that they were intentionally trying to G things up. They were saying things because they had to, to appear that they were, you know, appearing active or saying, look, look we're, still, we're still thinking about this. We've still got the, the minds of redemption, you know, and all this other plans that are meant to be happening. It seems a lot more structured and sensible this time around, I reckon. So, again... I think we were, of course, a little bit optimistic last year, but that was probably more from a bit of hope and in the ideas of saying, look, we're a good side. Let's see if they can do it again. Let's hope they don't throw it away. And unfortunately, we threw it away. We don't tend to thrive on that. And we always tend to be, of course, trying to, to pack a punch. And it's not that we're not a good side. It's more for the fact that we can do our best, of course, when people start throwing, you know, daggers and knives at us and they start saying, you can't do this. I think that's sort of the challenge here, but it seems like we're just 
simmering that pot at the moment. And it's probably, hopefully, I reckon, ready to overflow with a lot of things. So, you know, we've got a few special ingredients that Sam Power was able to add in, of course, over the off-season, and Don Malesi too. Now it's just a matter of seeing, you know, how Luke Beveridge will stir this up. Speaking of Beveridge, I'm not sure if we covered this news. or I'm not sure if it happened before or after our last episode last year, but we'll cover it anyway. Signed a two-year contract extension. Yeah, I forgot when that was. What was that like mid-January or something? I, I, I think that was. I think that was December, but I can't remember if it, it was, was December before or after our oh, last God. episode. I don't remember when our last episode was. <laughs> it was. It was around. I think it was around December, but I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure it was, it was before. Yeah, it would have been the episode at least after Caltrimi, I guess. But I don't even yeah. recall. It's been, it's been a bit of a while. What do you make um, of that decision? He was out of contract at the end of this year. It was. A, it was a disappointing campaign last year. Do you think they made the the right call to? to extend his contract now? Or do you, or do you think they, they would have been better off maybe waiting a little bit to see how things unfold in the first part of the year? I The more that I have pondered a little bit about it too, because I try not to think a huge amount, but when I do have my thoughts in process, I'll give it the time and respect it, that it deserves. And I think it's probably the most logical thing, ironically. If you put aside all the ideas of, We've made finals in what is it? Five out of seven seasons. We've won finals in only though two of those uh, six respective campaigns that we've made, or five. How many campaigns have we it's made? Six, 15, six out of the last eight. Six out of eight. Thank you. Six out of the last eight. We've only won finals in two of them, and two of those years we ended up, you know, or you know, going all the way or falling short of the final hurdle. Other years we've teased and looked like we probably should have been able to, to do more. I alluded to, uh, I mentioned to you last week, the last three or so seasons from 2019 to or 2020 onwards, and this list is effectively and fully owned by Beveridge. The players that have been brought in, the style of play that we have, the tactics, what the club is trying to do. Everything seems to be channeled through him. And I think it does make sense to say, look, to prevent the ideas and all these um potential backstabbing moments or having a bit of distrust and disconnect within the club. I think two years is actually arguably a bit of respect to say, look, we like what you've done so far. There's still a lot more to go. And that's hence why it's not a long-term deal. I mean, it's ironic to say two years isn't long-term because there's still a lot of time there and it's a good commitment. But it's not something you can say, as you know, we're committing to this coach for three or four seasons, say this is the pathway going into the future. It's only the pathway going into the present. So the club is pretty much saying, I think at this time, this is what these are the pieces of the puzzle here. This is what's left. The rest is up to you. And you've got to finish this journey the way that you intended to start it. That would take his tenure to what, 10 years? For yeah. 20, yeah, 25, 11 seasons, yeah. years actually, maybe. Um, which is mm-hmm. a long time to be a coach, to be honest, especially a respectively even one club. But I think the reward is also not just on the elements of loyalty and love for the club. He has earned, I think, the opportunity to finish what was started. And we will see what happens here. I said it's either going to go one way or the other. It's going to go up in flames or we're going to be you know, celebrating like no tomorrow. And that seems to be the way that this club has been under beverage. You know, not, it's not completely like boom or bust, but... It's when he gets it right, or the, the club other. gets it right. Yeah, it's it's oh, it's polar opposites completely. He's the so, greatest coach just, ever, or he's or he's got to go. 
Yeah, pretty much. And it's not because, like, it's sad to say regarding the club's history to say that you know he's the best coach we've ever had, and he, it's only because he's you know, been around for ten or so, oops, eight years or whatever it is with us, and because of the winning records he's been able to produce with us, you know, hundred plus wins, two grand finals, a premiership, consistent finals performer, or at least consistent finals participant, I should say, more so than performer in a sense. It's that other part. Like, like say for instance here. If we add an extra finals win, let's just say we win the finals that we, you and I would agree that we arguably should have and potentially could have done more that respective year. 2019, I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of 2020. Last year, I thought it was just a, regardless, it was a train wreck and I thought we just did well to even make the finals. We wouldn't have unfortunately done much. I, I'd add 2015 into that. that 2015, yeah, well. thank you. Yeah, good call, good call, good call. That's a very, very fine call to include there. Um even though the spot that it was a bit of a surprise that season too. So that's three years technically off the back of what was produced that year, maybe more so 19 and 15, more so than 2020, but at least those seasons of what we were able to produce that year that we felt that we had underachieved. Whereas in 2020 and then 2022 and arguably 2017, those respective three seasons, it was more that we were just sort of stuttering to the finish line and wondering, oh, this is like a slow torturous death you know we're wondering we can, when are we going to get this train rolling and it never ultimately happened I still think that he has earned that right and, I'm, and I believe a lot of fans would probably be in agreement with that there are those older fans that will say because of what he's been able to achieve in a success sense that he deserves it and there are those that have said well if we've achieved a success why aren't we able to continue and go on with it and produce more of it now we know there's obviously been these different transition periods within the club from you know, 2016 through to 2018, and then a bit more between 2019 through to 2021, and then the overhaul that occurred last year. So there's a bit of disbalance within the playing group. Now, we've seen the best of this club when it's at its uh, when it is at its most harmonious, and you know, supposedly according to the rumours, that might not have been the case last year, and might not have been the case in 2020. We've seen it when the club is at its happy place that it goes on with it. And at least it shows that it is definitely not just the top four side, but it actually plays to the standard of a top tier contender. So, sorry for the little bit of a rant, not rant in that sense, but a bit of a history lesson there, that I do think that he hasn't that right, but this, this, this is it. I don't know if I can say if this, these two years don't go the way that we as fans would hope, I can genuinely see um, this being the final, or that, that two-year block uh, for that contract to be beverages um, yeah. last at the club, if it doesn't go the way that we all hope it does. And it's, it's not because he hasn't done a great job. It just might be one of those cases of, you've done what you can, let's see how we roll again. Yeah, we've loaded up for this. We've loaded up for this flag now. Yeah, I, I think, and I, and I think every, everyone sort of at this point of view is speculating who can win it. I think in terms of list, we've got all the pieces. Everything yeah, the pieces is there structurally. To it. The, the only thing I can think that we might want for is a small lockdown defender. But that's yeah, but that's neither here nor there. No, they're, they're hard to come by anyway, yeah. in a general sense too. We've still got to work out, like I said, I will tap into it you yesterday's observations from the game at the intra-club match. But... Look, we're going to obviously still miss certain players that departed in the off season, some more than others, yep. um, on a, on a 
on a best 22 sense, some on a more cultural aspect, of course, um, for what they brought to the club. And I still think, though, like I know you and I have pondered, and many fans too have stated, you know, the the absence for, for this season onwards of Josh Dunkley. And there's things that he was able to bring to the table. A lot of those were, you know, very good traits in the defensive aspect. Okay. And again, he was one of the few midfielders that we had that could genuinely float forward and take a mark and kick the odd goal also, you know. Played quite well on that role. So that look, there's things that we'll miss, no doubt there. There are ideas where you and I and other fans have brought up Toby McLean, you know, Riley West. These are the options that can be thrown into the mix. Caleb Daniel is obviously playing a bit higher up now too. But I'm still a bit unsure because we've seen, regardless of the prospects of these other players and these other options, Dunkley was a very good footballer. And when he was up and rolling, he was playing what he was. He at least showed himself to be a great calibre, I still state. We haven't seen that from the other options out there, despite, you know, McLean's unfortunate two ACLs and, you know, Riley Weston and Caleb Daniel, who's made a name, of course, more as a, as a rebound defender, more than an actual midfielder. So there's still those elements where he could be exploited for the different senses. Because I don't know about his, you know, his actual defensive capabilities, despite we can't question his effort and his heart. I just still wonder how that's going to roll. So we need to be very cautious and need to take the utmost care for our one Tom Libertore. Yes. He needs to be cotton walled at Tom. That is, this is the, this is, we know, uh, is the heartbeat of this particular, not only the midfield brigade, but the football club itself on a, on a playing perspective and to an extent even as well off the field. Who's the next option? That's the thing. Like if some, God forbid, what happens then? How does the reshuffle work too? We know we've still got a very fun midfield, but it's not the, at least in terms of names now, a couple of departures, it's not now seen as probably the undisputed top two side of things. It's probably now dropped maybe a little bit more back to the pack to an extent, better than the rest, but maybe a little bit below. But we've seen that these guys are trying to play, that there's going to be, dare I say it, in terms of organic growth, where they're looking to throw they're not trying to replace one player. Dunkley. They're going to try to replace him in two or three or four different ways. Yeah. With Daniel doing this, with McLean doing that, with Bailey Smith and Trelaw and everyone does this. Everyone's going to get a lot more, you know, share of this pie, these midfield minutes again. And it might be an extra, oh, what? How many midfield minutes would have Dunkley played last year? And if the game goes for 120 minutes, let's say he's on the bench for 10 or 15, um, that leaves 100 to 105. He would have been playing midfield for at least 70 of them, I guess. Well, I've 60, got, 65. got here, I was running down notes from yesterday's match. We might talk a bit about that now, but one of the center square... Let's get into it. Only, only, only wrote down the center square combination once because I found it very okay. competitive and very interesting. So this was the matchup between blue and white. Bontempelli, right. Trelaw, West and English. Bontempelli, Trelaw, West, English. That's yeah. a solid mix. Against McRae, Liberatore, Bailey Smith and Jordan Sweet. I like that. I do like that. So some have got... A better ruckman or a better tap ruckman, and some have probably got more breakaway players. Look, I think just in terms of the on ballers, I think that's a pretty good six. It is a very fine six. It is a very very fine six. The only the only one like, well, I mean that's probably the top six. I mean maybe you could argue someone else instead of West. 
maybe maybe a Daniel or, or someone. I'm not sure. I'm glad to say that they, because I said I wasn't able to watch the, uh, the Intercom, but I'm very glad to see that uh, West was thrown in amongst that combination. There. West played a fair bit of midfield, particularly in the first half. He looked really good. There was one instance where he he burst out of the middle. He hit Buka Kamas on the chest. Kamas kicked uh-huh. three goals. I might go through the goal kickers now. So Kamas kicked three, as did Norton. Eugle Hagen, Scott, and Liberatore kicked two. Dale, Orgel, Arthur Jones, Bontempelli, Chatfield, Sullivan, Gota, Stretton, Lobb, McLean, and McComb each kicked a goal as well. There was one other VFL goal kicker whose, whose name I didn't jot down, unfortunately, but everyone else, everyone else I, I did manage to get. So the Darcy, Lobb, Norton, and Eugle Hagen all played in the forward line at the same time to start the match. The, so they were they all the respective one team, yes. Yes, yeah, so that was so that was them against what would have been Gardner, Jones, Bruce, and Keith. So we had the the A. Oh, sorry, sorry, not Bruce. Bruce played on Karmas, so that was a really interesting yes. match as well. That is now, a very unique matchup. I've spoken a bit about this about Bruce playing down back. I'm I can't get on board with it, and I wrote an article a little little earlier on the summer explaining why. Basically, uh, for for a couple of reasons, and I'll, I'll just go through them very quickly. Firstly, he hasn't played there in ten years, so I'm not sure how good a defender he actually is. Secondly, I think he I, I think he'd be further down in the queue in the back line than he would be in the forward line anyway. Like if if anyone if, if anything happens to Lob, Nugal, Hagen, or Norton, Bruce is next in line. But if anything happens to Jones, Keith, or Gardner, then Darcy's probably next in line. I would think at this rate. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that I think saves Bruce at the moment is that Tim O'Brien is out injured, and he said in the stream yesterday he won't be back till around four or five. And it looks like they're still committing to playing Bukakamas as a forward. But that would be the only the only thing I would say. And Bruce didn't do a lot wrong, but he still conceded three goals. Hey, these... What were the type of goals that he did concede, if you don't mind, Matt? So, on all right. Karmas. What so were the... they? So the car, the first one for Karmas was a wobbly kick from Dale. Didn't hit its target, but it just fell into his lap and he snapped a goal. The second one I mentioned okay. was West running out of the middle and, and hitting Karmas on the chest before going back and, and converting. And then the third one, I think might have been Dale again, hitting Karmas just sort of in the pocket. And then he, but not, not too tight an angle. And then Karmas went back and kicked the goal. I wouldn't say... Individually, there was a lot that Bruce could do about any of them. I thought outside of that, in terms of the one-on-ones, Bruce was very good. But and look, these pre-season, these intra-club matches are a, are a bit of a lottery. You can interpret them however you want. Uh, you can you can argue that. Uh, well, look, all right, here's, here's another example: Norton, Eugle, Hagen, and Lobb combined for six goals. I think it was. Now, I would say that Keith Jones and Garner were better on on the day they they took the honors in terms that's, of that battle. that's exactly what i've heard now, similar to now you sense. you can you can you can interpret that a couple of ways you can say oh that means the forward trio is rubbish or you can say that the defensive trio is the best of the competition and there's a couple of, there's a couple of ways that you can you can spin it so you've got to be very careful these intra club matches are always open to interpretation so i would i'd i'd be very hesitant to sort of make any major claims based off of the game on saturday but I will say for Bruce to play as well as he did and still concede three is a bit of a concern. How, how many could he concede if he had an off day, for example? I reckon it's probably just a bit of a mismatch in that sense for him. But I reckon, I know that's saying, uh, saying you know, that they consider him down back. I think the only main reason for this is because none of the other key defenders that we happen to have, you know, Keith and Gardner and 
you know, Darcy in this case, and of course, Buzzlinger to, you know, injured course. None of those types of defenders can play properly as a bullocking one-on-one type. I know Keith can, but ideally not. We know Gardner has had in the past, but ideally not. Bruce is the only player that can fill that role. So it's not like saying Bruce is going to be playing down back per se. I still expect him to be utilised as a forward, as his primary role. But I think it's just in the necessities of, you know, versatility because it's it's necessary, not because it's just happening for the sake of it, how it works with Jones, okay? You're not going to have Jones and Bruce together because it's just not going to be the ideal pairing in that sense. It's you wouldn't you could have Bruce as a lockdown happens. and Jones as an interceptor. I, you could, you could, because Jones could play that second role. Well, Bruce, obviously, it's not going to be the intercepting type. He's going to be more the lockdown if he is to play. But I think it's just to see how it would roll potentially, okay, the you know the break the glass situation if something occurred to Jones as the lockdown defender okay well Bruce can fill that role or at least he's prepared to do that role in comparison to say Keith and Gardner and we don't lose the the relative attacking and other defensive aspects that those players have it just gives Bruce a more simplistic focus on what he has to do he doesn't have to worry about you know running and all this intercepting and all the stuff it's just lockdown stay in your opponent. Do your job. You get five touches a game. Who cares? As long as you keep that bloke low and not much damage on the scoreboard, you've done your job in that sense. It's a bit different because we lose – because we like to play our defense still as attacking types. But if there's a certain player on our list that's going to be played down back that can be you know, sacrificed to play a pure defensive game other than Jones, it probably is Bruce. Because imagine seeing, for instance – Again, not this is going to happen, but imagine seeing, say, Norton get thrown down back. You'd still want him playing that attacking element because he's not a natural defender in that sense. His best form of defense is attack. Yeah, winning Same thing back. as Darcy. Same thing as Keith and, and these types. And Jones, to an extent, too. But you, those statistics you mentioned there show that he's pretty good balance at either, at either side. Bruce, we haven't seen the defensive aspects of the the way to win the ball back in that attacking sense. But we know he can we know he's good at you know wrestling and contests up forward. So I think logically, or at least systematically, it says that it can succeed in back. Whether it will is another question. But there's evidence that suggests that it can. I'm still playing him forward though, because I you know it's not often you're going to get someone that's kicked 200 goals for us anyways, or is kicked, you know close to 50 respectively in season and say, yeah, that's your you're thrown down back, mate. Because <laughs> It's good to have these you know, contingency options. And that's all I think this purely is. Not as a realistic thing that this, this will happen, though. But yeah. Out of those players at, up forward, the one that you'd be more content seeing sacrificed for that lockdown role, it's going to be Bruce over Darcy and Norton and all these other types. This is a very team and selfless approach, I reckon, from Bruce, who put up the idea to do this too. I think the point that actually you make about Bruce and, and the goal kicking was, was another thing that I, I mentioned in, in my article in, in an era where scoring is so difficult and good goal kickers are so hard to find to have one who, who came close to kicking 50 goals a year was leading goal kicker in a side that made a grand final to make the call to throw him into the back line within 12 months is a bit of a shock. I'm not sure that it's one of the reasons why I'm not quite on board with it, but I, I guess as we'll, as we go through the preseason, we'll see he could well get another chance against actual opposition in North Melbourne in the 
practice match that's to come. But just some other other points I wanted to make. We mentioned Keith and Jones. I thought they were really good, particularly early. But I thought they were really good throughout the day. Has he trimmed down, or how does he? How is he looking, Keith? Alex Keith, of course. You know, he's now recently, you know, ventured into fatherhood at this moment. And uh, yeah. how is he? How is he looking at this point in time? Well, he sold the dummy to Arthur Jones on the wing in the first quarter, and Arthur Jones is pretty agile. So I hadn't noticed a significant slimming down with with respect to Keith, but I thought he moved pretty well. I thought he looked. I thought he looked pretty good defensively. I'd say if he plays like that, if he plays like that this year, we're going to get a pretty good season from him, I reckon. Arthur yeah, Jones as well. Uh, I just, I just mentioned fourth year. This is his fourth year. That's right. He got that. He had that triggered, uh, that triggered year contract, didn't he? That's right. The three plus one. I just mentioned Arthur Jones. He's getting close. He's getting closer to a, to a debut. I, I thought his pressure was so good. And if they're going to move Cody Wayman into the midfield, there's this Off spot the for that small minutes. forward. Now, I don't know whether Arthur Jones is a scoreboard-type forward or, or a precious small forward. Um, yeah, just a um, bag. What can I say? I think, what would I say to him? I think once the ball does get rolling, when he does kick a couple, then I think the goals will uh, genuinely you know, follow along with it. But at this point in time, yes, I'd say he's more of a pressure type. And we don't have many of those pressure-type ground-level players, don't we? No. Because you're not going to call you're not gonna call Waitman that. And that's what Clark was, wasn't he? Pretty yes, similar in yeah. that sense. So it's nice to see we're going to have some chaos um, at ground level there. You you think Charlie really, Clark really is? Enjoyable. Did you say earlier? That I Charlie think he's. Clark I think he's close? closer. I think he's genuinely close. Because when to I've seen probably in the first month, when I've seen the dogs train, I haven't seen him train with the main group. I, I was wondering if he had some sort of injury, and then he didn't play yesterday. Hmm. We'll see. I'll be excited to see though how Arthur Jones would go. Um. I wonder because I'll be definitely looking to make an appearance. At, where is it next week at Icon? Icon, Icon Park, Park, I think it is. Yep. Yes. Hmm. Next Sunday. That'd be nice to see. I've got Ten a different question, 12. actually. 10 past 12. Fantastic. I've got a question, actually, Matt. Uh, you mentioned that the teams, what did you make of, uh, was it Team Blue and Team White? What did you make of the, the personnel attached to either side? Was it still pretty balanced or did you see a bit of dominance on either end? Uh, so it was very well balanced throughout the game. So the combined the combined scores in the end, they, they reset the scores at halftime, but you know I've, I, I did a bit of maths back in my day. So the combined scores, I've managed to add them up. The blue team throughout the afternoon kicked 13 goals, 12. The white team kicked 11 goals, 10. So fourteen point That's win okay. to the blue team. I will say though that they ch- that they changed sides at halftime. There are a whole bunch of players who who switched mm-hmm. jumpers at halftime. So it makes sense that what they. What did you notice about? What did you notice about that? Like who exactly? I'm not saying specifically who, but that change in personnel, because obviously you know these guys aren't. Um, well, they're going to be playing with each other in that sense. But do you think it might have disrupted a bit of balance, chemistry within a little bit of the things having to race up uh, to reshuffle how the teams respectively were played for that next half. So it was, it was pointed out, it was pointed out mostly on the, on the live stream that it was mostly just the midfield group. And the reason for it was that they could spend a half working on kicking to the forwards, the, the A grade forwards, and then they could spend a half transitioning away from them. So your Eugle Hagen, Lob Norton, the Bruce, or sorry, V Keith Gardner Jones matchup that stayed the same. Right, the, I, like the whole that. I like that. So those, so that was the matchup. I, I like with the Bruce and Bruce V. Karma's matchup at the other end. That was the same for four quarters. 
It was mainly the, the, mm. the midfield group that changed. So That's a I, great initiative. Yeah. So I look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read like I like I say, I wouldn't read too much into you know what the scores were at halftime. Like it was a really even contest throughout. There were there were momentum swings here and there. You know, some some teams would get on a run, kick a few goals in a row, and then the other team would bite back. And again, you can read that's it what I wanted to ask you about too. Want. Yeah, that's what and I wanted to ask say, about that too. You know, Matt. We're, we're how, very bad at keeping momentum, or we're very good uh-huh. at resting momentum. It's it's that's again exactly. with these inter club matches. What did you make of it though? Because that's definitely something I want to tap into. Because we've seen last year we would concede a flood of goals at times, or we wouldn't be able to, to stop that run. Or when we'd get on a roll, well, respectively. You know, once that momentum got slowed down, because you know we saw the Geelong game the second time around, yeah. or even the first time around, we'd be able to halt teams for large chunks of the match, and then it would get blown away. Or the what was it? Let me think of this. The practice match against Brisbane, for instance, last year, um, kicked a lot of goals in a burst, but struggled to score for majority of the game. I'm sure you mentioned there were some other some other ones, wasn't the the Hawthorne match too? Kicked a whole bunch of goals again in a particular burst. And again for a large chunk of the contest, just couldn't get anything going. Mm. It wasn't yeah, look, like that exactly yesterday or was it pretty well spaced out? Wasn't wasn't no team I, I don't think any team kicked more than three goals in a row at any stage in, in the afternoon. Mm. And that's my rule of thumb, isn't it? Generally, if you get three in a row, depending on the margin, if you get three in a row, you're generally back in the game. Well, let's see. The, in the first quarter, like across the four quarters, the blue team kicked four goals, one goal. Oh, sorry, four goals, two goals, two goals, four goals. White team kicked two goals, five goals, two goals, and, and three goals. So, yeah. But Do they appear a lot more structurally? Those goals, or was it a bit of chaos in that sense? How did, what did you make of the how those goals came about? A uh, bit of both, bit of both, bit bit of bit of chaos, chaos, and a bit of bit of decent forward entry. I, I'd probably say more chaotic side than mm-hmm. conventional going forward side. But there was some, there Which was some well, us, to be honest, <laughs> there were some well worked moves though. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't all chaos. There was some. There was some pretty slick football. Throughout the throughout the game, uh, what else? What other notes have I got here? A couple of couple of injury notes. So Ryan Gardner hurt his elbow in a marking contest with Eugle Hagen in the second term. Came up holding his elbow, went off the ground, but came back on. Tim English copped a hit to the head in a marking contest in the third term, but I think he played out the game. I don't think there was any real issue there. I mentioned Tim O'Brien. He's had some hamstring injuries over the summer. And he had another one very recently, so we won't see him in the selection frame until about round four or five. Jason Johannesson and Cody Waitman should both be okay to face North Melbourne and Riley Garcia as, as well. With three that didn't play yesterday, they should all be okay to play against North Melbourne next week. Any other notes that I may what mention? What did you see yes. of Sam? Yes. Uh, you know I'm going to talk about? Yeah. What no, happened with uh, Sam Darcy, though? Because apparently he spent... Uh, the remainder of the match after half time, the pine. What mm-hmm. happened there? Yeah, nothing that nothing injury related that I've been made aware of with Sam Darcy. I think that's just a precaution thing. So yeah, the start of the second half, he was seen off the ground in a bulldog's polo. So he he decided that he wasn't going to play for the rest of the day. Nothing that nothing that came to mind with Darcy, and nothing that was reported. So I think he's okay. One player I do want to make mention of because I gave you my best twenty two, Nick, and I've not released it to the public yet. 
because it's a dangerous thing to do. I don't remember to my do. best 22. It's a dangerous when thing we do to those? Do in, oh. It's a while ago. It's a dangerous thing to do in January or, or early February. But there's one change already that I made on the wing. So Is McCray on the bench? No. McCray's <laughs> on the field. <laughs> who, but I'll tell you who else is on who else is on the on the field or specifically on the wing. Anthony Scott. I've I've That's I've a good him, call. Yep. He leapfrogged Oscar Baker for me yesterday. And again, it's only one match and it's an intra-club match, but I'm afraid that that's all I've got to go off at the moment. Yeah, and if I'm basing it on... Scott hasn't done anything wrong exactly when he's played for us. It's been very handy in that sense. He had, he had a, a shocker against Charlie Cameron, but you know who hasn't? No, that was on a hiding to nothing, to be honest. I reckon that he was well and truly thrown under the bus. <laughs> I I really liked his game. He kicked two very nice goals. One from the boundary mm-hmm. line and another was from outside 50 into the breeze, Nick, into the breeze from outside 50. Was it similar to that uh, GWS goal that he kicked last year, the first time? Pretty similar. Angle was probably tighter and he might have been, but he might have been closer in. Well, it was still mm-hmm. a nice goal. I've got him on the wing for round one. I've always been a huge fan of Anthony Scott. Like he's just a mm. really honest, clean sort of footballer. Mm. I don't think the. Well, there's some players' ceilings are higher than the others, and there's still a bit of scope for them to go. But I reckon his base is a is a lot more trusting, yeah, and a lot more consistent than some others. So I think even his poor games, minimum, unless he's you know it's copping him absolute telling, which is not going to happen often. I think his poor games will still be at least probably like a five or six out of ten in that sense. There's not going to be many disasters with him. I no, reckon, no, which, I, I, we, we, yeah. we're fans of Anthony Scott. We're very happy to see him have a crack at this and um. It's a good spot for him, actually, that wing. Because he, what did you make it probably say his running? Because obviously we've had Hunter as as a defensive type wingman, and then on the opposite, on the opposite side, likely to be an attacking wingman. You know, this combination of Trelaw and Bailey Smith, and then you know potentially even Bailey Williams on what goes on there, for instance. What did you notice of Anthony Scott's say running power in that in that side of things? Yeah, I, I thought he transition. I thought he covered the ground pretty well. Like he was like he didn't. It wasn't a thirty disposal game, I'm pretty sure, but he, you could you could see that he was regularly pumping up around Involved around the, the ground. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, and and his and his finishing was really good as well. No, he's got a, he's got a lot of you know he ticks a lot of boxes, Scott. And I know there you go. And I know I know Oscar Baker is pushing for for selection in round one, but based off of yesterday, I, I would have Anthony Scott ahead of him. I don't I don't think Baker really impressed me. All that much yesterday. I was I was a bit underwhelmed, I've got to say. I certainly have Scott ahead of him at the moment. And I'm looking forward to seeing if Scott and Baker get an opportunity again against North Melbourne. There's a lot of players that, that I would like to see again. And those are those are two of them. It is interesting because there's some players that we will see again more for continuity aspect. There'll be some players that we might not see. And people will automatically think, oh, these guys aren't in the frame. But sometimes, you know, like for, for instance, in this sense, might happen, might not happen. But let's just say, oh, we've decided to pull Bont and Pally out of next week's um, practice match. Okay. Yep. And it's not because, oh, he's not going to be playing. It's because we already know what he can do. We want to see what the others can do. Yeah, so there's going to yeah. be some of those cases too where players might not be participating because we already know what they're capable of. And it doesn't mean they're going to be outside of the 22 or 23, sorry. Um, for this season, I am intrigued to see though, because there was the within the commentary yesterday. Supposedly, Chris Grant mentioned that a lot of the side 
has pretty much already uh, picked itself, you know, 19 or so players. They know who's going to feature. So I'm trying to wonder, who do you reckon those remaining, say, because they're not going to, you know, try to fit, they're not going to try to fit uh, 25 into four spots, but who are probably the most likely five or six or so that you reckon there? Is, is Hayden Crozier an option in that sense? Oh, gee. I mean, I, I like Crozier. I, I think the, for me, it really depends how they're going to use some of these players that they've trialed in other areas of the ground over the summer. You know, where, where do they get a, Where are they going to land with Caleb Daniel? What are they going to do with Josh Bruce? What are they going to do with Cody Waitman? Where does, where does Anthony Scott end up? What about, Adam, does... what about Adam Trelaw? Mm-hmm. Riley West is an, is another one. It, it really it really depends on, on how... I think solely depends on how they want to replace Dunkley. And if it's, as you say, where they want to use three or four possibly, you know, more additional uh, options to replace him, what does that mean for vacancies everywhere else? If, if Caleb Daniels is going to spend more time in midfield, then they're going to need someone off halfback. And Hayden Crozier is a good option. But that... If they you if that's if they go that's with replaced. Daniel, then that... but that's exactly because they might just start to just load up with we've been too attacking down back. That's not a bad sense. We've been too attacking down back. And we've got the defensive aspects. We've mentioned you and I that generally of our smaller types down back, there's only one real defender, and that's Taylor Jaray. Yeah. Now that's not to say when Liam Jones goes down that he's going to be playing as a midget because he's not, but it adds an extra pure defensive aspect to the back line. Yeah. It reinforces that part. The defenders are there to, dare I say it, defend. Well, Taylor Duray's in, in my team anyway. So I agree. Regardless, even if he was yeah. playing preseason, I'd be picking him up. Still can't believe that, you know, it took a bit of time to get back into the mix and whatnot. We saw how much he was missed in 2020. Um, we saw how good he was in 2019. We saw how important he was in 2021. And his continuity was missed last he's season. He's in the leadership group. And rightly so. Have we tapped onto that, actually? No, we haven't. That's, we well, that? the news is that there's no news. It's the same as it was last year. So Bontepelli is captain, McRae is vice-captain, Norton, Jeray, and Daniel make up the rest of the leadership group. Hmm. I'll say this to you. Here's an exclusive. Come the day when Bont hands the reins over, that doesn't mean he's not going to retire, but that when he hands the captaincy reins over... Hopefully that's still another 15 uh, it, years away. Perhaps, perhaps. Bonzo would probably still be playing when he's 48, but uh, he should be killing it then. But I'm pretty confident that the captaincy uh, is going to be passed on to one Aaron Norton. That's a that's a big call. Is that's That's a huge call. I'm exceptionally confident with that. And I don't care about the idea of these WA rumours and whatnot. I think Norton's more the Victorian boy anyways. He hasn't spent that much time in WA anyhow um, and that side of things. But yeah, I'm exceptionally confident to see, uh, you know, you'll probably be, and it's going to sound stupid in different senses, but when was the last time you can think, and I'm probably, this is, you know, the answer might be actually that obvious and I've just gone blank. Other than probably say Rewalt, Nick that is, who was probably the last genuine gun forward to hold a captaincy position or John, along those lines. Jonathan Brown. Jonathan Brown. Jonathan Brown, Nick Rewalt, you know, Wayne Carey in the 90s. Chris Grant. Chris Grant for us for a, for a period of time. Who else is there? 
no one, that, no one else that immediately swings to mind. Yeah, there's probably options. I've just gone blank um, in some things. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm wondering. It'd be a very, I think, anyways, a very unique touch. It's like, you know, with cricket, you know, for instance, was, uh, generally the captain going is always back a the bit more. Was Kelvin Templeton captain? I don't know. I feel like he would have been. That's actually a good call. That's a very good call. Very good shot there. Oh, I, I do. I, I do like. I do like that. Uh, do like that prediction that you felt there uh, for us, Nick. We might move on to well some and truly the... in the uh, walk. Uh, what do you call it? Of a deal, I'm pretty confident too. I know he's got two years to go, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things in the work to uh, again lock this uh, monstrous astronaut uh, long term at the club. Of course, so We've... you be sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, that's it. So I think it'd probably be like a probably towards the back end of this year. I reckon there'll be that's a likely four or five year deal for Norton come the end of the season. I, I, take, so. I like, like that as well. The Kelvin Templeton was captain of Footscray in 1982 as well. For well, thank you. That up. We might move on to some questions because we've sort of covered a, a couple of questions already, but I, I did want to get into a few of them. Of course, the thank you and A is back for 2023. Tom Leary asks a, a question and we sort of touched we I think we were just about to touch on it a little bit with the idea of playing players against this in this North Melbourne match because one it's could look at this question, as, a, a, as a dress rehearsal but another but another way you can look at it is an, is giving an opportunity to some of the other players that we're less convinced about but Tom asks the question was not playing another team this weekend a missed opportunity when your opposition know all the set plays and tactics, it's hard to gauge how well it stacks up against actual opposition. I think this is a great yes. question. And I think it, it, is, I think it is a missed opportunity. I think mm. this will have been a good weekend for the runaround. And then next week is, is the dress rehearsal. Mm. We're the only club bar the Giants to not have played a... Maybe they were scared of... A, a direct opponent. Maybe they were scared of Libba roughing up their new captain. Yeah, exactly. They probably would have got Nick Haynes to do the toss again, perhaps. Um, I'm just trying to wonder the sense because, look, do you think that this, it's good to do these side of things, you know, for us, maybe you just wanted to focus on what we want to do, okay? but it is good to test it out against opposition. Now, North Melbourne will be probably a bit of a, a tougher nut to crack uh, this season than in recent years. Um, and they've probably got a little bit of confidence back. So I'm not exactly going to be too fussed, I think, if next week, Sorry, next Saturday looks a little bit different on our side of things because they'll be probably trying to, to gun for the win. No one wants to lose, but I think that these types of matches will be more for them to prove a point than us. For us, it's more I just want to see if our system actually holds up and the way that we're trying to play is you know, integrated into the match. Do you think it's actually a very good dress rehearsal for round one or not? Playing, as you know, intra-club and then, well, last year's wooden spooners before we play you know, a team that's made but won a grand final and, of course, finished in the top four despite the straight sets. Do you I, think it's I, ideal preparation? I don't. I'm not particularly fussed with who they play in, in preseason uh-huh. because last year, last year is history uh-huh. in, in a uh-huh. sense. Like North, maybe they won the wooden spoon last year. That doesn't mean that they're going to win the wooden spoon this year. No, they do. And just because, and just because, uh, team this time around, though. and just because you know Melbourne and and Brisbane finished in the top four last year doesn't necessarily mean that they'll do so again this time around. So I, I'm not, yeah, they, they, they may, and it may be that, you know, what, what we saw last year will happen again this year, but it's no guarantee. 
I think at this point you you want to get a good solid hit out, and any any good AFL or any AFL side will, will provide you with a with a hit out. I don't think it'll be a walkover against North Melbourne next week. I wouldn't want it to be a walkover. I think as long as we get a good solid hit out, we get through the match with no injuries and the Bulldogs just win it at the end. I think where we can walk away pretty happy with that, to be honest. But I do think, yeah, not having that other game is is a bit of a missed opportunity. Someone suggested that it was that clubs didn't want, no one wanted to go to Ballarat, which I mean, I don't know. It could be right. I mean, the last time the Giants went to Ballarat, it didn't end too well for them. But I don't know. I don't know. That was an interesting thought, though. I hadn't hadn't considered that. That maybe clubs didn't want to go to Ballarat. We didn't want to go to. We didn't want to go interstate. Maybe. Hmm. I'm sure. Perhaps. Perhaps. Or maybe we just we just want to focus more on our, on ourselves, and use the opportunity to get things right within sort of the team setup, and and said so there was the opportunity to do that. That's the other. That's the other one as well. Yeah, we tend to do things a fair bit different from from most other clubs, don't we? So yeah, we do. Yeah, it's just 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 a unique, just a uniqueness, not only of the dogs, but also of the uh, beverage itself. So it, it it you know ties in well with each other. It's, it is a match made in heaven. The pair of them. It's just hopefully that the uh, you know the relationship keeps continuing on in in the ways that we hope. Uh, Jay Neasy or at Mister Jacob. Has an interesting thought exercise, Nick. I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure how you will go with this one. When you take a look at the five worst players in our best 22 and compare them to the five worst players in the best 22 of other contenders, how do we stack up? And there was a bit of back and forth on, on this one. I really struggle with this one, and I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll explain why. Firstly, I think the the idea of a worst five is very subjective. In my worst five will be different to your worst five, which will be different to Jacob's That's worst true. five. The other thing is that the what, what I perceive to be the worst five in opposition clubs will be different to what you perceive it to be and what Jacob perceives it to be. So being able to being able to actually nail down a worst five to begin with is is challenging enough as it is, given that we probably won't all have the same five players, and then having to come before we can even begin comparisons to to opposition clubs. The other thing is that I'll say in terms of premiership teams, picking a worst five is really difficult. But who who were the worst five players from Geelong's side last year? Who were the worst five out of our team in 2016? Like you might be able to get two, maybe three, but there's not going to be a clearly defined list that you can go, ah, there's the bottom five. The key with premiership sides is that from player one to player 23, it'll be this year. All contribute, and sure, they they well, they won't all contribute equally, but it will be very difficult to say, oh, that's that's the worst play because, you know, X, Y, and Z, because they'll have uses that other players don't necessarily bring to the table. So I really struggle with this with this question because I get, I get what you know we we sort of the idea is that we're talking about depth and and what's the gap between the best and and the worst and looking to close that is very important i understand all that but it's it's, it's a really difficult question to answer i don't know if you had any any more success than i did i think you've summed up exceptionally well there matt to be honest but look you're right the definitions of people's bottom five can be different and likewise teams top five can be different most people will say who are supposedly your best players or other people might say it's who's your most important players or who is the place you can least do without. You know, there's a lot of things and sometimes it ties in with each other that your best happen to be the most important 
It's not always the case in these things. But like who's, who's integral to the game plan and whatnot. Now, there's a player on, that I've got in mind at the moment who, for many supporters, um, would probably classify, perhaps at least talent-wise, uh, in the bottom five. But in terms of consistency and in terms of what they can bring to the table, in terms of their ability to stick to the task and be able to be depended upon, can be more important, though, than the ability to be more flashy or be able to pull off some ridiculous you know, passes and whatnot. And that player in mind I've got is Rourke Smith. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you about the idea of, and you know I've had chats about him too in the past for other things, you know, should he still be on the list? Should he not be on the list, you know? And it's not because he's not good enough to play NFL football. It's just that because he's, there's not much more to it. But in the past, and as well as last year's final, he's been one of the few players that has actually stood up when the chips are down, which in my fact, that counts for a lot despite some higher-named footballers, you know, more prestigious ones or more glamorous types have fallen short, despite their reputation. We saw that, of course, in 2016, where the unheralded heroes were able to play integral parts in our campaign that year. And we got to see it, of course, these types of you know, romantic football stories occur in 2021. Now, it's hard to carry a lot of them because you're not going to, succeed with a lot of foot soldiers per se. You know, you do need to have, you know, your quintessential linkman, you need to have some top tier talents as well. That doesn't mean, you know, say, okay, we're only letting seven or eight top shelf players, seven or eight, you know, good enough players that could be flexible and then, you know, seven or eight foot soldiers that you can throw in amongst the mix. But you alluded to it before with the likes of Anthony Scott. We're not going to say that he's definitely, you know, probably the best talented uh, uh, 22 on the side but there's probably not many players that are able to do what he can do on a disciplined side of things what they can bring defensively and that's probably one of the other pieces of the puzzle to, to make up for potentially that loss of Lockie Hunter on the wing you know, he hasn't played a lot of football for us Hunter in the last couple of years he's obviously departed now but how can you get away with these things dare I use the term on that money ball sense where can you allocate your resources more accordingly where is it worthwhile investing more, say, salary cap space? And ultimately, the club decided it was better off putting that resource into its full back and ruck forward options than having eight or nine, you know, high-paid midfielders. It's, it's a beautiful balancing act, this idea of risk management, and it no doubt ties into the bottom five. And... To, to, put, to answer the question here, do I think, how do I, what do I reckon about bottom five? Um, again, everyone's going to have different, different players and different things. I think within that bottom five, again, depending on who's on there, I think it's still a very, very consistent bottom five in the sense that the talent doesn't drop off. Because as I said, I've mentioned to you many on occasions, we have, sorry, we aren't and never, ever will be with the way that we play our football be a personnel-based team in that sense. A lot of clubs tend to play systems and everyone's got their own systems and you know whatnot. Some tend to be stricter, some tend to be more open. But ours, the way that we play, you're not going to see the best player on our list play too dissimilar 
to player 23 that's picked that might be able to pull off things more successfully than player 2023, but how they adhered to what's meant to happen to the way that they're trying to, they're trying to play, it's going to be pretty consistent across the park. It's just purely the execution that's going to be different. So I still reckon it's actually a very handy bottom five that we'll have across the board. And I'm not too fussed who gets put into it in that sense because generally you're not going to lose games off your bottom five because no one talks about how poor the bottom five were, say, in a team that's rolling. You know, People will say, oh, they're just doing their roles. And then if the top-tier players happen to fall off and the bottom five get exposed more. But that's that's the thing. It shouldn't be – it's always good to have a stronger 22 or 23, but it's, it's not going to be on the bottom five or six or seven players generally do the heavy lift and say, we've got to get this game up on ourselves. You know, you look to your leaders and yeah. that generally is always yeah. going to be a top half dozen players. So the responsibility falls on them. Now you mentioned the position on, on the wing with Rourke Smith. I, I think I had Rourke Smith in my, in my best 22 at one yep. point. So I'm still Dave, up in the air, but I'm very happy to see him thrown in there, to be honest. So Dave so, Gibson and Jack Plant ask the question of, of who takes the spot on the wing. So Jack Plant is who takes the wing spots. This year, Dave Gibson asks, asks, are we covered enough with players that play on the wing? I think we've got a lot of defensive wing options. And I think we've, again, got a couple of attacking options. We naturally, though, don't. But these options now might actually be able to be utilised more because, ironically, of course, this absence of Dunkley. Now, obviously, we're going to lose defensive aspects. But we might be able to, and we've got to fix, find ways to fix that up, you know, as I'm saying before, we need three or so players to maybe replace those aspects of it. But we can definitely increase the offensive output. And we're talking the goals that Dunkley could kick. I'm talking the style of play in terms of making other teams worry about certain players on our list who are expansive, aka Adam Troll, aka, you know, Bailey Williams. Bailey Smith, these players that will make opposition teams defend, chase them. You look at how the team, and as much as it's good to have, we always loved having a, a Libba, a Bonta, McRae, and a Dunkley midfield. And then, you know, Hunter, when he was playing there. But my God, that is slow as a trace school. You know, well, we get the, the exquisite passes that some of them can pull off, but it would get exposed on the outside from certain burst mids as well. And that doesn't mean it's not good defensively. But everyone's got different, you know, best traits that they can produce. And for us, it was always in type. But once it got out of, the, of that congestion, that handball game would get opened up and it would rely on that running power. And that's probably why, of course, you know, people would see you know, why Wallace wasn't brought back because he done, didn't have those elements to play as a midfielder despite, you know, us losing a bit of personnel there in the off-season. Well, if you're going to ask me the, the wing options... In yes, terms take of, it away. In terms of defensive and, and offensive, I, I I still think the best defensive wing winger we've got at the club is Adam Trelaw. De, de, I still offensive, offensive wingman. Yeah, offensive yep, yep, wingman. Yep. I, I think agree the, with that. I think the defensive wing spot is pretty open. I, I would have to say that I sort of I don't know if you can give ties, but I'd, I'd have to say it's between Scott and Rourke Smith at the moment. Indeed. Ba- Bailey, Bailey Smith has the attributes to be one of the best wingers in the competition, apart from his decision-making by foot. The option option A is to kick it 50 metres to no one in particular, and option B is to repeat option A. 
I don't I, think I, he's I, probably I, best utilised though as a winger, even though I think he can play there. I think the I prefer him in the, him. I think I prefer him in, that, in exactly the, in right in the middle. Exactly. Right Thank in the you. middle. You use the yep. explosive pace in, in the middle rather than on the outside. And mm. with the absence of Dunkley, you, Dunk, with players like players like Bailey Smith, and mm-hmm. you know, and to a, to a, to an extent as well, Bontempelli will need to spend more time in the midfield. We're not going to see this Bontempelli as a force and a half forward anymore, because he needs to play more in the midfield. So, in, in some ways, the loss of Dunkley does benefit us. In, in some ways, like losing Dunkley is a great loss, but if it means mm. that players like yeah, offensively, but defensively, that's the chink in the armor. Yeah. But, this but point if it means time. players like Bontempelli have to spend more time in the midfield, that can only be a good thing. Hmm. On that, I'll say this now too. There is a lot of early season Adam Cooney in Bailey Smith. Early career, sorry, mm-hmm. in Bailey Smith, I reckon. He, I know he had his, I know he had a, a lot going on in the second half of last year. But if you want to look at, if you look at his numbers for the first half of last year, he was. Amazing. AA 40 at, least. at least he he was amazing last season. I want to see if I can if I can quickly get up some of the some of the numbers he generated last year. I think by the halfway mark of the season, he was leading the, the Brownlow tally for the Bulldogs. I think he had nine votes in the first 10 games or something like that. Let me let me read these numbers. 33, 31, 36, 43, 29, 26, 24, 41, and 34 up till round 10. And then the next game was the Geelong match where he had the headbutt and all that sort of stuff after then. It fell away a bit after that. But those numbers are outrageous. That is actually. Yeah. Uh, let's just make another big call while I'm at it because I've already said Norton to be the captain, captain in a few years' time. Um, we'll just go and say it. Well, I'll get. Uh, I'll go for Bailey Smith to uh, at least. I think he can make the 40 because we need the next A-grade mid and so I was saying to you before, you know, the loss of the, you know, the loss of Dunkley, and people might say what he was and all this stuff. It's hard to state otherwise, despite you know what was going on. The bloke was a damn good midfielder, you know, yeah. and he was arguably our best defensive midfielder. And you and I have mentioned who's this next brigade? You know, West is still in his fourth year. By that stage, Dunkley was, you know. That doesn't mean, you know, because they're taking their time and that stuff. One was given more opportunity than the other. But one was already then, you know, proven to say, yeah, I am a very, very good footballer, you know, in that sense. The closest one that we had in recent years that had had that sort of, um, what did you what did you call it for Ed Richards? The spike. The spike, yes. Yeah, yours was spike, mine was scope in this yeah. sense. That had the scope and the spike probably was Toby McLean. But who's our next one? Who's the next one in that? It's... Bailey Smith, yes, but there's got to be another option there to bring a bit of enthusiasm back into the midfield. You know, maybe that's why there's this idea of Waitman. That doesn't mean Waitman's going to be playing midfield. But, maybe it you know, is. To West. bring in this idea, maybe it is, but I'm still a bit uncertain. He's defensively very fine, but I don't know how he is in terms of, I mean, maybe we can extract, we know he can lock down on stuff. I'm well, just so, wondering how he is in terms of the pressure side of things. Simone the, wanted the to ask. Plays. Simone asked how West played yesterday, or how was West yesterday? And we oh, spoke about this one. We, we spoke about him a, a little bit earlier. I, I thought he played. I thought he played really well. He spent a lot of time in the midfield. Like I say, he was sort of part of the six or seven main men in the midfield. 
I thought his pressure was very good. I thought his disposal was was very good as, as well. There was that one moment where he hit Karmas on the chest. Not the first time he's done that. They did that a bit in the VFL last year as well. I think Wes is, I think he might be my best 22 as well, Wes, but I need to check that as well. A cu- just a couple of questions. Where, was it 2019 where West finished you know, close in enough the to the JJ Liston? Oh, oh gee. Oh, I'm pretty confident he was up there. I think it would, not 2021. I thought it would have been 20. Uh, I don't remember. I'd have to check. 2020, that. of course, the season was canned, but yeah. I feel like he was up there. 2019. David Maybe. Rudge asks. Uh, so David Rudge asks, how much of an influence do you think Caleb will have in the midfield? He should have been played a bit across halfback and midfield, so he sort of divided his time up a bit. I I think they're still trying to figure out the balance of what. Of of how they want to use Caleb, to mm. be honest, Daniel's best Daniel's best position for Caleb Daniel is down back. Actually, whereas be Daniel's a... best position for the Bulldogs is the question. I think he might be a bad wing option either. And I just wonder defensively and his running power. We know he's going to you know keep going to the cows come home with his heart and his you know the intent that he has with him. I just still query. Because it'd be, it'd be awesome again. Offensively, he'd be perfect. Mm. Defensively is the question <laughs> in that sense. And I'm not talking tackling and stuff. I'm talking the two-way running. I'm talking the idea of can he get exposed in other things? Of course, teams will look to use the wing options as the bailout option when you, you know, kick it behind or whatever. So when they need to just go down the line, you're not going to kick the ball in the corridor. So we're going to have to have numbers then around those contests there to back him up. Otherwise, it's going to go to ground or get taken a mark above his head and then off they go again. The ball's coming back. Hmm. It's very different how it's going to be played. I think they'll probably, I hate the term, but they will use him, of course, as that link man quarterback option. He's going to be the rebounder in the midfield, not in the back line, I suspect. What do they used to do? They used to play him off the back of the square before these 666 rules. Oh, that's a bit far back for me to for me to be sure now, Nick. And just finally, in a word, we started the episode with this question. We'll finish it as well because Grant wants to know where is Sam Darcy going to play. I think we agreed that this year down back. Yep, happy for that. Beautiful. That's going to be it from us for the first episode of the year for the Salty Bulldog. Be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts, our Twitter and Instagram pages as well, our website, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Be sure to keep an eye out for some new ideas that we're looking to implement during the year. But until then, Nick, thank you for your time. Always a pleasure. Welcome back, everyone. To all of our listeners, wherever you've been tuning in, thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again next week. But until then, take care.